Good morning. It is good to see you, especially after uh, being out for the last two weeks. Uh, but let me say uh, how uh, thankful I am for Lucas, our children's minister, and Alec, our student minister, who not only gave me the opportunity to be out for the last two weeks, but did a phenomenal job uh, being faithful to the scripture and delivering the scripture. So we are uh, excited about the future of our church, and one of the many reasons is the young leaders that God has in our church, uh, two of them being Alec and Lucas. Uh, let me say to you, if you're visiting with us today, that we're so glad you're here uh, as our guest. We're thankful uh, that you are here, and we would love to connect with you. You can text the word CONNECT uh, to the number that you see on the screen, and one of our CONNECT team members will follow up with you this week. I'd also like to invite you to discover Bayshore. It's a lunch that takes place about once a month here uh, where we feed you. Uh, and we share our vision as a church and give you the opportunity to ask questions that you might have. This is an open invite, but it's also uh, the first step in membership if you're considering uh, joining our church. That'll be at 1215 today in the Fellowship Hall. We would love to see you there. I would also love to see you here uh, next Sunday as we celebrate Easter Sunday. As a member of our church, there are two things uh, that you should be doing if you're not already doing these things. And one of those uh, is inviting people to worship with you on Easter Sunday, we anticipate uh, more people, people who typically wouldn't come to church on a Sunday, uh, being here. And so certainly, uh, we should be inviting those who uh, we know who do not go to church, and uh, hopefully they'll join with us. And then the other thing is serving uh, with us, again, with the crowd that we'll have. The needs are even heightened uh, on uh, campus next Sunday. And so children's ministry and our Connect team are the two uh, big areas where we still need people to serve. And so please, uh, if possible, reach out uh, and express your desire to serve in those ways. I would ask that in general, we evaluate those two things in our life. Are we living in such a way that we're making investments in people and then inviting them in, inviting them to church with us, inviting them into our home, inviting them into Bible studies, inviting them to see who Jesus is through uh, the community that we have. And are we serving God? Are we serving our local church? Are we serving in other ways as we engage in different domains in our life? I would ask that we evaluate those things. Open your Bible with me to Galatians chapter 5. We have two weeks left in Galatians, including today, and we've been talking about gospel centrality for those 12 weeks, and today hits home that gospel-centeredness, being gospel-centered, means gospel living. It means that we are constantly evaluating orthodoxy, that is what we believe and what we teach about God, but also orthopraxy, how it is that we live for that God we believe in and that God we proclaim. And so the question I think we should ask today in light of all of our time in Galatians, but specifically our text this morning, is what difference does the gospel make in your relationships? What difference does the gospel make in your relationships? Now, it is easy to say, I am full of love. It is easy to say, I am patient. It is easy to say, I am kind. I'll show you how easy it is. Say, I am full of love. Say, I am kind. 
Say, I am patient. See, you said it. It was easy. Some of you on the patient, you're like, I don't know if I can actually say that. It's easy to say these things about yourself, to believe these things about yourself until you actually have to relate to people. What difference does the gospel make in your relationships? What difference does the gospel make in your marriage? What difference does the gospel make in your parenting? What difference does the gospel make in your neighborhood? What difference does the gospel make in your church family and how you commit to your church? What difference does the gospel make in your relationships? Galatians chapter five, verse 25. If we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. Chapter six, verse one. Brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Keep watch on yourself, lest you too be tempted. Bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. For if anyone thinks he is something when he is nothing, he deceives himself. But let each one test his own work, and then his reason to boast will be in himself alone and not in his neighbor. For each will have to bear his own load. Let the one who is taught the word share all good things with the one who teaches. Do not be deceived. God is not mocked for whatever one sows, that he will also reap. For the one who sows to his own flesh will reap, excuse me, will from the flesh reap corruption, but the one who sows to the Spirit will from the Spirit reap eternal life. And let us not grow weary of doing good, for in due season we will reap if we do not give up. So then as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone, and especially to those who are of the household of faith. Thanks, Justin, for praying just a moment, but if you would, I wanna pray again for our time this morning. Let's pray together. God, it is a gift that we are here this morning, not just here in what we call church, but just alive. Every breath that we continue to take is a gift. Help us to remember who the giver of that gift is. God, if someone here today is not a Christian, I know that the only reason that you are giving them more breath is so that they might, in your grace, see who you are and turn to you. And for those of us who are Christians, the reason that you continue to give us breath on this earth is so that your glory in eternity might increase as a result of the breaths we take and the life we live. So God, help us to turn everything back to you and to be used by you for your glory. In this moment, I ask that what I say not be what I want to say, but what you have to say, Lord. God, I ask even that how I say it be reflective of who you are and how you love us. God, I pray that as a result of our time in the word this morning, that there would be transformation, change, fruit. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. 
In verse 25, Paul says, if we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. I want you to see that what we're gonna talk about in chapter six is flowing out of this call that Paul is giving us to walk in the Spirit. And the call to walk in the Spirit is a call to humility, to not become conceited, to not provoke one another, to not envy one another. It's a call to humility. Now, what is humility? Well, C.S. Lewis says it like this. Humility is not thinking less of yourself. It's thinking of yourself less. Humility is not thinking less of yourself. It's thinking of yourself less. Humility is not, oh, these people, they're all better than me. Or I can't do anything. Humility is not becoming self-centered. Or becoming full of yourself. Even though you can do some good things. Even though people bother you and you're tempted to provoke them, even though it's hard not to see what others have and envy them. And so to live humbly, to, to live like this, like to really do this, for this to be sustainable in our life, our identity has to be in Christ. That's been the point of the letter to the Galatians, being centered around the gospel. And what we see in Paul's closing here is the manifestation of that and the connectedness of that and our relationships. We are, as believers, children of God. We are sons and daughters adopted into God's family by the blood of Jesus. That's who we are. And we must remember that we have brothers and sisters in that family of God. So walk through verses one through 10 of chapter six with me to see some of what that looks like. Paul says in verse one of chapter six, brothers. So he is talking to believers. He's not talking to non-believers. Non-believers do not need to change their habits, their budget, or their sexuality, they need Jesus. He will affect all of those things. If you are not a Christian here, even though I feel like we sometimes emphasize this, you are much more than your sexuality. You are much more than your money. You are much more than your habits. You see, God has designed you to walk with him and know him and experience joy, to experience peace. But you, just like me, have sinned. And you have fallen short of the glory of God. You have chosen to trust in yourself instead of the God who is evidently alive by the creation that displays his glory. And that's what has led to the brokenness in your life. It's what leads to brokenness in my life, and it's why we see brokenness in this world. And we might medicate if we're from some means and have some ability, but the reality is in our honest moments, there's a void. There's a brokenness. There's a lack of joy because we have separated ourselves from a holy God, and he's holy, and if he's holy, then he deserves holiness, and that's not what we offer to him. 
but that God who is holy is also loving and he sent his son, Jesus Christ, to die on the cross, to take on the wrath, to bring justice and he has given, been given to us as a free gift that we might be reconciled to God. And if you believe in Jesus, you will be reconciled to God. If you trust in Jesus' righteousness as your righteousness, his holiness as your holiness, you will be reconciled to God. And the rest of our life on earth is a recovery and pursuit of God's design and his joy for our lives. And then for all of eternity, we will be amazed by the goodness of God to us. That is available to you today. That's the call to you. Respond to that. And so Christian, we know that. And so why do we constantly try to treat non-believers like they should be doing the things of God when we realize it was that good news of Jesus that has made us want to obey Jesus? And so if we are people of Jesus, then we want them to see him. And we don't want them to come to church and clean it up because they can clean it up and still go to hell. And if we don't understand this great difference, if we don't look at this great difference then maybe the gospel hasn't really grasped us. Maybe we, in fact, believe in some view of morality as righteousness, and we haven't been transformed by the power of the gospel of Jesus Christ. So who Paul is addressing here is people who have been centered. They've been grasped by the gospel. And he says to them, brothers, if anyone is caught, Paul says anyone because anyone can get caught. People who come from rough Trauma-filled backgrounds can get caught. People who grew up with nice parents and nice homes and nice bills can get caught. People who are liberal can get caught and people who are staunchly conservative can get caught. The Greek word translated as caught means to be entangled or ensnared in a trap. Now, he, when he says if anyone is caught, he's not saying if you catch anyone, like this isn't a license for the Holy Spirit to police to go around and find people who are sinning. Gotcha. He's saying if someone is caught, if they're entangled, if they're ensnared in a trap. Now, I have much more experience hunting mice than I do bear, and so I'm gonna use that as an illustration. He's saying... There's this cheese on the mouse trap, and it's there to lure the mouse. It's the cheese that says, my spouse is neglecting me. My spouse isn't who I hoped they would be. And here's this other person, or here's this easy ticket to divorce, and I'm going to go for the cheese. It's, it's, it says, life is tough, and this alcohol is an escape from life or these drugs are an escape from life or something else is an escape. So I'm gonna take the cheese. It says, I'm doing well, managing my money, being faithful to God, but Christmas is coming and I see what everybody else is getting their kids and so I'm gonna take the cheese and I'm gonna go into debt and I'm gonna enslave myself. Paul says, if anyone is caught in any transgression, there's all kinds of ways this is gonna happen, not just those examples. He says, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual, this phrase doesn't mean mature believers. It doesn't mean that you reach like varsity level Christianity and now this applies to you. When he says you who are spiritual, he's saying those of you who walk by the spirit. He just talked about that in verse chapter five. 
This is a call for every Christian. It's not just a personality thing. You might be shy, but this is still something you're called to do. If you walk by the Spirit, this should be you. You who are spiritual should restore him. The word restore means to, it's the word they use to set a dislocated bone back into place. This is going to be painful, but it is a healing pain. Restoring those who are caught in an aspect, in sin, is an aspect of being a spiritual person. And if it seems easy for you to help a person bear the burden of sickness or unemployment or loss of a loved one or loneliness or rejection, but it seems too hard for you to bear the burden of confronting a person in their sin, I want you to think on this. A sinful attitude or a sinful lifestyle is much more harmful than any of those other burdens. And so Paul shows us how to do this seemingly challenging thing that if we believe the gospel, we ought to do. He says, restore them in a spirit of gentleness. Resetting a bone is painful. It's particularly painful if your crazy uncle resets it instead of somebody in the orthopedic surgeon's office. And I don't know about you, but when it comes to spiritual things, we're more crazy uncles than we are professionals. And so Paul says, you gotta do this, but do it in a spirit of gentleness. For me, I'll just be honest with you, if I see somebody sin, do something, they stumble, and it's a one-time thing, unless it's a very severe thing, I usually think he had a rough day and I, and I move on. But if I see it more than once, if I know it's something they're maybe struggling with, I want to help. And something we've been taught is that there's this tension of truth and grace, and there is a tension of truth and grace. But here's what I hope you understand. The answer to the tension of truth and grace is not a balance, it's boldness. If you wanna be somebody who lives truth and grace, here's what you gotta do. You gotta believe deeply in your heart that his word can be trusted, that God is for us, that God is for them, and you have to lean in, and you have to press in, and you say, I'm going to share this truth with you, and it's going to hurt you, but I'm with you. Not said my peace and I'm gone, but I'm here. I am here with you. I'm going to love you through this. We're going to walk through this. We're going to have these conversations. This is how we must live our lives, Christians. And so we have to be humble. For any chance of that working, we have to be humble. And so Paul says, keep watch on yourself. Before you seek to restore people, ask, do I think I'm superior do I think I'm right? Do I think I'm more godly? Or do I genuinely love this brother or sister? This will affect our approach. Paul says, lest you too be tempted. He says, keep watch on yourself, lest you too be tempted. Now I have listened to a lot of 90s rap in my life and so I translate this as check yourself before you wreck yourself. You don't wanna be influenced by that person that you're going to restore. 
And I've seen that happen so many times where going slow, building the relationship, and next thing you know, that person who went to bring them in is right there with them. Be careful that you don't react sinfully when they react sinfully to what you have to say. Now, let me, let me say this to some of you. If you have people challenge you, if you're on the receiving end of the restoration, the correction, don't go find people who agree with you. Find people who love you. I, I've noticed as a pastor that people leave churches a lot, and I think there are good godly reasons to leave churches. I, people have left other churches to come here. People have left the churches that I've pastored to go other places because God led them. I believe that. But I also notice that a lot of people, they leave a church because they finally press in and somebody actually challenges them. And they go somewhere else. So eventually they can find one that won't challenge them. And look, if, that's, look, if you leave, I'm not gonna, it's all good, I love you. You can smile at me in Walmart. If you tell me a church you go to and it's wacky, you will see on my face that I think it's wacky, but I'm not gonna say anything. Here's just what I'm warning you. Don't switch life groups. Don't switch marriages. Don't switch friendships. Don't switch churches because you just want to be validated. You need people who love you and will speak the truth to you. And if you don't have that in your life, then I don't know that you understand the sinner that you and I are and the need of constant sustaining grace that we need of God speaking through people. And then also, like when somebody corrects you or restores you, don't try to find faults in their life to discredit them. Like, oh, so you think you're perfect? They didn't say that. Oh, so you don't struggle? Or this is what Christians do. We know now that they should be speaking in a spirit of gentleness. Oh, you didn't say that to me in a spirit of gentleness. So you're not even doing it the way God called you to do, so I'm not listening. Listen. God spoke out of a donkey in the Bible. If you're a King James Version person, it uses a different word. <laughs> he can speak through anyone. I highly prefer when the person who corrects me is the godly, dignified, spiritual, mature person. But you know who it usually is? It's the person that doesn't even read their Bible, that nobody likes, but they're right. <laughs> what they're saying about me is right. Don't let your pride stop you from hearing what God might say through anyone. This is the reason, number one, that people avoid community is they don't want that kind of accountability. We have to provide that kind of accountability for each other. And if you're the one who is seeking the restoration, you have to keep your eyes on Christ and you have to avoid pride in the confrontation, in the restoration. Pride in correction is like using dirty water in an operation. It contaminates the whole thing. Ephesians 4 says we ought to speak the truth in love. In Galatians 5, we just read not that long ago that only what counts is faith working through love. If there is genuine concern, we have to commit ourselves to the restoration of this person. Verse 5 says, verse 2, sorry, Sorry, I'm not as far ahead as I thought it would be. Verse two, bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. We are called to carry each other's burdens, church. 
Now, life is full of difficult people. They're all around us. If you don't know one, you're one that is probably around other people. And if everybody in your life is difficult, I would just suggest to you what is the common denominator here. As we live our lives, they're going to be full of drama. There's probably some degree of drama in your family. There's drama at work. And there's certainly drama in society. And so when we go to church, like a part of it is we wanna, we wanna avoid that drama. Like some people, the reason you started coming to church is every other area of my life has drama and so here I come and then you tell me to get in a life group and you tell me to build relationships and then you find out, wait, all these people are drama too. And so what you tempt, are tempted to do is to say, I've got enough drama in my life. I don't want the drama at church either. But listen, what Paul is saying, what Paul is saying is about this very thing. He's talking to brothers and sisters who are in community and he's saying, we've gotta be committed to the restoration of one another. We've gotta be committed to bearing one another's burdens. You say, well, I have my life and I have my plans and these people are getting in the way of where I wanna be and what I envision my life looking like and my church looking like. Listen, people are the plan. People are the plan. The reason you are here on this earth, Christian, is not for you and Jesus' worship because you're gonna be so much better at that in heaven. It's because right now, God has chosen to continue to grow you in worship of him and to spread his glory among the nations and that doesn't just happen by going somewhere for a week a year, that happens by loving people who are right around you. People are the plan. They're not in the way They are the way to live out the calling that God has on your life. The whole law, the whole law is fulfilled in this. Love your neighbor as yourself. Listen, there's a bunch in here to know. There's a bunch of stuff that you're not even gonna, you're gonna forget And Jesus says, and it says in Leviticus, and it says it in Matthew, and it says in Galatians, and it says it in Romans, and it says it in more places. If you want to do all of this, love your neighbor. Love your neighbor as yourself. And you fulfill the law of Christ. Carry their burdens, and you fulfill the law of Christ. That is the call on your life, Christian. If you claim to be of Jesus, this is non-negotiable for you and for me. If your personal relationship with Christ isn't communal, I love you, but I highly doubt that you actually have a personal relationship with Christ. So we keep this focus and we relate to others. Verse three says, for if anyone thinks he is something when he is nothing, he deceives himself. In doing this, we ought never to forget the gospel. I haven't arrived. I haven't earned this for myself. The person that I'm talking to, that I'm counseling through this difficult marriage or who's been divorced, I may not think that I would do what they did and I certainly wouldn't advise them to do that, but I could easily do it. The person who's addicted to drugs, they're powerful. I'm not, I don't have some supernatural power on my own effort that they don't have. The people I know who are in financial struggle, it's God's grace that I'm not there where they're at. I don't look at them that way. I realize The gospel is the answer in my life and their life. 
You know, a, a, a saying that younger people say, sound old right now, um, is to throw shade. Um, and actually, I say that too, so I don't know if that makes me cool or just lame. Um, but if you think you're cool for saying that, just so you know, it originated with a Jane Austen novel, so you're not that cool. Um, and, and so it was kind of popular in urban uh, settings in like the 80s, 90s, and now it's good again. And, and I just think that we are being bombarded with people who want us to just be people who throw shade at others all the time. And so I brought these sunglasses. I stole them from my children. Um, I realize every illustration breaks down because sunglasses help you see in the sun. I get that. But here's what I really think is happening. We're walking around. We see clearly this is our natural way of seeing people for who they are in Christ and how God has made them to be. And whether it's social media or it's our friends or it's culture, it's entertainment, celebrities, even Christian friends, everybody's like, put these shade glasses on. And we're looking at people not the right way. And what God wants to do in you when he empties you of yourself is he wants to take them off and he wants you to see people. No matter what it is they're in, as people who need the gospel. And this affects our approach, church. And our relationship with others should be deeply tied to that understanding of the gospel. Verse four says, but let each one test his own work and then his reason to boast will be in himself alone and not in his neighbor for each one will have to bear his own load. Paul's saying our focus should be on what God has called us to do. That's never disconnected from people, but that's never misdirected towards people. And when I take my eyes off the work of Jesus in me and start evaluating others, my boasting is no longer in Christ, but in how I measure up. Don't ever get puffed up because a brother is lower than you or falls lower than you. A few verses later, Paul will write, verse 14 of chapter six, but far be it from me to boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, by which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. In 1 Corinthians 1.31, he says, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. In Romans 15.17, he says, in Christ Jesus then, I have reason to be proud of my work for God. Our confidence is in what God is doing in us and leading us to confidence in what God can do through us, not in what others think about us or not how we measure up with others. You see, God is the one true judge. He's the one whose opinion really counts. Now, sometimes people have said to me when I preach or I talk to them about something, don't judge me. And I'm like, I'm, I'm not judging you. I'm just telling you what the judge says. That's different. And our confidence should be that we are vessels of communicating the truth of God's word. And God says that we should be just worried about what he has called us to do. And if we're comparing ourselves to others and how we measure up, I'm just telling you, this is the enemy of contentment. Comparison is the enemy of contentment. Comparison leads to pride and comparison leads to envy. And we have to avoid this. Now, the way the text is translated into English makes it sound like Paul is shifting gears in verse six, but he's not when he said, let the one who has taught the word share all good things with the one who teaches. This is very connected to the urge to be together for the gospel. There are those who God uses in our life to teach us the word. He says, share all good things with them. So, you know, take care of them. So we're gonna take up an offering for me um, after the service. 
I'm just kidding. This is kind of awkward for me to talk about, so I'm just gonna quickly explain and then I'll defer. He's saying they're those that God is using to teach the word faithfully, they deserve to be honored. Maybe it's by giving your time to the things that they're leading you to do. Maybe it's by service. You may not be ready to teach, but you can help to meet, meet the needs of the body. Maybe it's by words, by encouraging those who are teaching. And of course, it's by financial uh, means for those who are committed to the gospel. Let me just say this. In our church, there are those who are teaching our children and our students faithfully. Support them. There are those who are leading a life group. Support them, encourage them. There are those who are mentoring officially and unofficially. Be with them. I think the point that Paul is making here for the sake of time is this. Christians are contributors, not consumers. Christians are contributors, not consumers. So when we think about the gospel and we think about the difference it makes in our relationships, we ought to approach the church as a contributor, not a consumer. Many people in our Western commercialized world approach a church with high expectations and low commitment. The Christian ought to approach their church not with high expectations, but with high hopes and high commitment. That ought to be the commitment of the believer. The church is not a group of people or an organization providing religious goods and services to you and your family and getting the program so that you can complete your well-rounded version of life you want, it's your family. It's the vehicle through which God brings about his manifest presence into the community in which you're in and God has called you to be all in for the church. Now let me be honest with you. Well, hopefully I've been honest with you up to this point, but let me be more honest, I don't know. If you live your life serving, giving, trying to build relationships, to point people to Jesus, it's probably gonna be kind of hard. It's definitely not going to be easy. And you're gonna look around and you're gonna see other people, I love you, but who are even here right now, who are here in church whenever there's not an activity and when the weather's not all that great. They're living their lives, claiming the name of Jesus, and they're a consumer. They're nominal in their Christianity. And you're giving of yourself for the gospel. Now, I'll remind you not to compare because comparison is the enemy of contentment. And I will ask you to pray earnestly that God's voice would be the loudest voice in your life and that you would be led by him. Verse seven says, do not be deceived. God is not mocked for whatever one sows, that he will also reap. Do not be deceived. That's a theme of this book. Man is tempted to go af after affirmation of his heart and even to use religion to do so. But he says, you will reap what you sow. If you sow corn seeds, you're not gonna grow apples. When you, where you are today is a result of the decisions you've made in the past and where you will be tomorrow is connected to what you do today and what you did yesterday. And if you are sowing seeds of the gospel, there will be fruit of the gospel. God 
will not be mocked. So, verse eight, for the one who sows to his own flesh will from the flesh reap corruption, but the one who sows to the spirit will from the spirit reap eternal life. And Paul explained this in chapter five. I'll just read it because we don't have time. Verse 19, now the works of the flesh are evident. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. But the fruit of the spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control. Against such things, there are no law. You will reap that if you are sowing that. And so, verse nine says, let us not grow weary of doing good, for in due season we will reap if we do not give up. It's hard to believe that it's April already. That means a lot of things, but one of the things it means is that 98% of all New Year's resolutions are gone already. We have a tendency to grow weary of good things. We live in the most impatient time ever. And sometimes good, godly things just take time. To the one here who thinks you won't make it, I can confidently say to you, faithfulness leads to fruitfulness because God will not be mocked. We ought to live our lives with this in mind. So verse 10 says this. So then, as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone, and especially to those who are of the household of faith. Now, don't apply this good in an arbitrary way. God, Paul has just spent all this time defining good. It's, it's shaping one another to be more like Christ. He says, let us do that to everyone, especially to those who are of the household of faith. I find this interesting because today, there, maybe this has been your pastor, this has been your church, maybe this was me when I was younger. They say things like, the Sunday morning gathering exists to reach the non-believer. The priority of the church is the non-believer. If your pastor says that and your church says that, they don't know the Bible. Here's, here's how non-believers are transformed by the gospel. When we are loving each other in such a way because of the gospel and the work it's doing in our heart that it's countercultural, that we're the family of God and we're proclaiming the glory of God and people come in and they see the way that the people of God treat one another because of how Christ has been treated them. They fall on their face in awe of who he is. That's how the gospel works in and through the church. And the call in this whole book and here this morning is to be centered around the gospel as the people of God. What difference does the gospel make in our relationship? So let me ask you three questions. One is this. What burden is God calling you to carry for someone? What burden is God calling you to carry for someone? There is someone maybe who needs to be restored. They used to sit in these chairs with you. And they've left. And they've wandered away from the church and maybe even God. And you need to reach out to them. Maybe there was a conflict that was never resolved 
and it's time for you to take those first steps of reconciliation. Maybe there's somebody you've, just been, you've had on your heart. Just think, I need to text them. I need to email them. I, I, I had a note to text these two people who um, aren't believers. They helped uh, the church I planted in Crestview. They just helped us in some ways. And um, I've been meaning just, I don't know, randomly prompted, hey, text them and, or fi- reach out to them and just tell them thank you for how they helped you when you were that age and um, I have to make a note because I forget everything. So like if you come to me on Sunday and say, hey, uh, blah, 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 I'm like, Charlotte, because I'm not gonna remember. So it's been on my to-do list. And so this week I had some time. I sat down and I looked him up on Facebook and messaged one of the people. And then I went and messaged the other one and I found out she died last week. Don't wait. Don't wait. There's someone who needs a burden carried, someone you know is having marriage struggles and they need you to walk with them and be a friend. Someone who has financial issues and you can't help them with everything, but you can help them with something. And there are needs in your faith community. This is why we serve. This is why we serve together. This is why we, we serve in our children's ministry. Look, the, the, if we wanna continue to grow and reach families and help them see the gospel, we, we, we have to, love them. Now, I'm not saying you have to love them. We have to love them and we have to serve. And so if we have to serve, I'd ask you to pray how you might do that. Discipleship, people need to be taught what it means to follow Jesus. How are you doing that? What burden is God calling you to carry for someone? So why don't we live like this? Why aren't we all in in these things? Well, maybe, maybe we need to answer this second question. What selfish pursuit is God convincing, convicting you to lay down? For some, the hindrance to serve in the way that we're portraying is legitimate health issues, the burdens that you have. But for some of you, you can't focus on others because of what is entangling you right now. It's consumerism. It's materialism. It's addiction to food or sex or alcohol or the internet. It's self-exaltation. It's self-protection. And it's getting in the way of your faithfulness to God and caring for others. What selfish pursuit do you need to lay down? And then lastly, what difference does the gospel make in your relationships? All this that we're talking about, about being centered around the gospel, what is the difference that it's making in your relationships? Because Jesus and the gospel is too powerful to not change you And so if you've claimed Jesus in your heart and haven't been transformed, I would just ask you, is it really Jesus? And you've heard the gospel today. Maybe it's time to just say, I believe. I'm all in. I've fallen short. But you've forgiven me. I'm all in. And church on Bayshore. Listen. God is doing something special in this group of believers. Commit to his ways. Trust him, press in, lean in. God will not be mocked. If we sow seeds of the gospel, we will reap fruit of the gospel. Do not grow weary in doing good. For in due season, we will reap 
if we sow. I'll, I'll close with these words by Peter in 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 8 through 11. He says this. This is one of countless passages telling us to live all in for Christ. Above all, keep loving one another earnestly since love covers a multitude of sins. We're not gonna stop sinning, church. But above all, keep loving one another earnestly since love covers a multitude of sins. Show hospitality to one another without grumbling. I've been okay if God left out the without grumbling part, but it's what we're called to. As each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. Whoever speaks is one who speaks oracles of God. Whoever serves as one who serves by the strength that God supplies in order that in everything God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. To him belong glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. God, you deserve are all. You deserve everything. And Lord, today, may we be open to what you would do through us. God, maybe it's the realization today that we do not trust in you and we would lay our lives down at the cross and take up our cross daily follow you after denying ourselves, and then Lord I pray that for the believers in this room that we would we would listen to your spirit that your spirit would rush like a mighty wind in and through us for the glory of Jesus Christ and God just may you strengthen those who are who are leaning into you who are walking with you strengthen us and help us to remember a confidence we can have because you are in and with us. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.